This is Passion Fruit Podcast, brought to you by KECC 98.1. Today on the show, we have interim president, Dr. George O. Wood, being interviewed by Kaylin Follin-Hollinger. So to start with, can you just tell me a little bit about uh, your beginning uh, education, the things that led you to where you were? Just a quick overview in case uh, somebody hasn't heard it before. Sure. I uh, came to Evangel in 1958 as a freshman. I was in the fourth entering class, graduated in 1962 in the fourth class, went from Evangel to Fuller Theological Seminary, graduated from there, came back as a a faculty member at Evangel after finishing my um, MDiv degree, and then was director of student and spiritual life for several years, went back to Fuller, did my doctorate, came back as first full-time campus pastor, and then went from there to pastor a church in California, did that for 17 years, uh, was assistant district superintendent of Southern California District for five years, uh, general secretary of the Assemblies of God for 14 years, and general superintendent for 10 years. And currently, I'm uh, chairman of the World Assemblies of God Fellowship. I've been doing that since 2007, and my term will end in 2023. So that's kind of a quick recap of where I've been in life. So what led you to Evangel when you were first getting out of high school? You know, I grew up in a—my parents were missionaries and pastors and evangelists, and they never stayed anywhere very long. So I'm the youngest child, and— um, I never uh, really stayed anywhere longer than about two years. That was about the longest. Sometimes it was much shorter than that. So I didn't have any friends really growing up, and I was very shy and quiet. And But I felt this call to vocational ministry. So when I was graduating from high school, I told my uh, mom and dad that I wanted to go to Central Bible College because that's where you went in those days if you felt called to vocational ministry. And my dad uh, said, no, son, you, we are, you are not going there. You're going to this new school that the Assemblies of God has opened up, Evangel College, uh, so that you can get a degree. And if you fail in the ministry, you'll have a teaching profession to fall back on. And I, I know in retrospect, he said that because often he had to support his vocational ministry by taking outside jobs like painting houses, roofing, working in warehouses, delivering the mail, and he didn't want for me to have hard work like that. He thought that school teaching would better fit me. And so I wound up coming to Evangel because my dad insisted that I get an education that allowed me to have a vocation to fall back on if I failed. Can you think of anything specific that led you to that call to ministry, like an occurrence? Or? Yeah, I have, I have the strangest call to ministry I was 10 years of age. My father was pastoring a small church in Oklahoma that was going through a division or what we used to call a church split. Two deacons had physically threatened my dad one Sunday night after the service, at actually at an altar. One of them had actually put his fist on my dad's chin. I'm 10 years of age, sitting next to my mother, watching all this unfold, and chewing on it the following week. And the next Sunday, I remember I was sitting in with my mother, in the Sunday night service, and I said to my mother, I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a preacher just like dad. And, and, uh, and I was, I was impressed with my dad's courage to stand under pressure. And I, and I, I guess it just sort of locked in my mind. I'm going to follow my dad. I'm going to be a minister. 
And so the, it was a strange call, but I sensed uh, at 10 years of age, just a love for wanting to do ministry. That's incredible. So you went to Evangel and from there went on. Can you think of anything that happened during your time at Evangel that just really sent you even more strongly down that path to ministry? Well, Dr. Thurman Van Zant, who's now retired, was then a young professor. I think Thurman was five years actually older than I was, or maybe six years. And his classes in Old and New Testament church doctrine and church leadership had an enormous impact on me. Dr. Nana D. Dalen, who taught speech, taught me the rudiments of how to be an effective speecher, a speaker. I'll be forever grateful for her. I still use the format she taught me on formulating a speech or a sermon. Uh, but the Christ, probably the biggest crisis I had uh, spiritually in my in my student years was I was a, a second semester of my junior year. I think I inside I was quietly drifting away from the faith. You know, sometimes you get your eyes off Jesus, get your eyes on people, and you see things that don't exactly line up, and you begin to look at people as hypocrites. And I was going through all those kinds of things as a student. And uh, for Spiritual Emphasis Week that spring, there was a speaker came. He had his doctoral degree from Stanford University, and he gave a week's lecture on the historicity of the resurrection, why the resurrection is credible, that faith was not a leap in the dark, faith was arresting in the sufficiency of the evidences. And I remember that last chapel, I, I sat there and I thought, I thought to myself, you know what? Uh, I no longer have the faith of my parents or the faith of my church. He has given me a basis for faith, a, a sufficiency of faith to rest on. And it was just like a quiet assurance settled into me. I, I, John Wesley described his conversion as a, a, a warm feeling that, that he got. And it was the same with me. It was just an extremely uh, quiet, intuitive sense that uh, Jesus is who he said he was. I could follow him. I could give my life to him. And uh, that was that was a very formative experience. Um but later that later that semester, I lost the, uh, the the race for the student body president, and and it was a you know when you when your your ego is so on the line in that moment, and it was so devastating because I thought I was going to win. Everybody thought I was going to win because the person I ran against uh, hadn't been involved in, in in campus activities like I had, and I realized later looking back that loss was one of the best things that ever happened to me because. Um, I had I had gotten I, I think I'd gotten too full of myself, and students recognized that, and so, um, you know, it was it was it was probably one of the best experiences of my life in that a loss taught me the importance of not trying to be somebody you weren't and not trying to exaggerate your importance. See, so. Has there been anything outside of strictly religious experience that you think has shaped your calling and your passions that have led you to where you are? Well, I think that the people that touch our lives always shape us. There have been so many people who have had their fingerprints on my life, beginning with my parents, especially my mother. Uh, my mother was a very remarkable person. She, at 26 years of age, uh, uh, went across the ocean on a boat to, and landed up in northwest China and Tibet. She'd been, 
felt called to be a missionary, so that's where she settled. Uh, served over seven years as a missionary in that remote part of the country. There were no mechanized vehicles up there except a few trucks in those days. She rode horseback, she walked, um, and she, um, after seven years, came home. I tenerated to go back another time to the to be a missionary, met my dad about a month or two before the boat sailed. They quartered on the boat, got married in Shanghai, and um, served uh, served until the communists uh, ran us all out of the country when I was a boy of, of eight years of age. And uh, she had a, you know, uh, that was probably one of the deepest influences on my life was my, my mother, who was 43 and a half when I was born, and just was um, incredible, kind, gracious, a woman who loved the Lord and didn't wear her faith on her sleeve, but just showed truly what it was like to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and there have been other people who shaped my life, but I'd say the deepest impact was made by my mom. That's an incredible story. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she was, uh, she, you know, she, uh, she, she, she had a goal of reading the Bible through every year. She, she did this very non-ostentatiously. And in her later years, after mom and dad retired from the pastorate, she read the Bible through every month. I mean, her Bible was just so well-worn. She wore, she actually wore through Bibles. She probably every morning got up around 4 o'clock, prayed till about 6 or 7 in the morning. She just was a kind, uh, generous fair, my parents were very poor. I mean, they they were they just they just scrimped by to you know get through life. But they were rich in faith and rich in love, and that that made an impact on me. Amazing. What do you consider perhaps to be the greatest stumbling block on your way to achieving what you believe God has called you to? And how did you overcome it? And do you think you've been made stronger for it? Well, that's a, you know, people, I found that the people that have surrounded me in life didn't put stumbling blocks in my path. I think probably one of the most important decisions that I ever had to make as an adult was to leave being campus pastor at Evangel and take the pastorate of a church in Southern California that it just had a church division and was down to about 60 adults. I, at the time as campus pastor, I preached once a week uh, as part of my responsibilities campus pastor. I was, you know, in my late 20s. Um, I had an earned doctoral degree. I thought I was going to stay at Evangel the rest of my life. I was going to be campus pastor until either I retired or died. And I had this amazing experience uh, in chapel in the fall of 1970. It was a great revival on campus, and I was uh, in an evening meeting looking over a sea of students. We had about 1,000 students at the time. Chapel was packed, and I felt this impression. George, look around here. This isn't going to be your place of ministry much longer. And I thought, that is crazy. That is... That is I, and I, it was so. It was such a strong inner voice. I didn't. I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't tell my wife at the time. We had two little children. We had just come out of a incredible year of graduate school in California, where I'd finished my doctorate. I remember we, my wife and I were in our little Renault as we left California, crossing the Arizona border, 
our two little kids in the back seat. And I turned to my wife and I said, we will never raise our kids in California. And she agreed with that. And here I was six months later having this experience in the Evangel Chapel. Look around. This isn't going to be your place of ministry much longer. And, and I found out months later that that was the same week that the church in California had dedicated a week of prayer and fasting as they began their search for a new pastor. And when the invitation came, it was a it was a several months long process before I finally got to a yes. But I but I had I had my academic my my academic dean here and other people said, George, you're crazy. You shouldn't be doing this. You you're the first full time campus pastor. You sh- you shouldn't even be thinking about leaving. You're going to get a reputation for being irresponsible. And yet I felt it was. I felt God was calling me to go do this. So I did. And it turned out that, you know, there's always a replacement for you. Evangel had somebody else could step into that role. I took this church and had a 17-year honeymoon as a pastor where the church grew from to about 2,000 people and a tremendous missions program and creative ministries that developed. And uh, But it was a it was a bare knuckles kind of decision that flew in the face of logic at the time. But I ha- I've had to learn in my life to go along with what's, what's in my heart to do. And because I've never had an audible voice of God speak to me, but, uh, and in my, in my last chapel talk of the year sometime in April, I want to talk about how to discern the will of God for your life in terms of direction. But one of the things I, for me is I've, I've learned to go with an inner kind of an inner sense of peace and satisfaction that what I'm doing is the right thing to do at the moment. What kind of advice would you give the students on this campus? You've been placed as a president. What advice would you give us all about reaching our passions and our callings for Christ? You know, do well what you're doing today. Um, I th- you know the light, um, I, I in my first chapel talk as interim president, I, I, one of my favorite persons in in the Bible is is uh, is Peter, and the minute he met Jesus, Jesus gave him a new identity, and I, I would say you know begin begin to have a vision of what of what of what you of who you are and and what you can do in life. Surround yourself with people who believe in you. And who who can who encourage you to be all that you can be? Um, I constantly repeat uh, to myself the prayer and and to others that a, that an evangelical professor prayed over me when I was a young pastor. Uh, he, he said, "Lord, help help him to lay foundations that are strong enough to bear the weight you will later place on them." And these years at Evangel are critical years of laying a strong foundation in your life, academically, spiritually, socially. Uh, all, those, all those are the building blocks of what God wants to do to grow your future. And if you do, if you do that well while you're here, uh, it's, it's going to uh, multiply in terms of life dividends incredibly in the years that will come. That's great advice. Thank you. This has been a really good time. I... The story about your mother is just absolutely <laughs> amazing to me, especially, you know, being now and having, yeah. knowing that happened yeah. 
Let me tell let me tell you a deathbed story about her. She had a heart attack. She was 81 years of age. And she had been in a hospital for about a week. My brother had flown out from Texas. Uh, my sister was in California. I was in California, about 60 miles away. And so I get a call. She was getting better. And then uh, one Saturday evening, I get a call uh, from uh, from my sister saying, you better, you better come quickly. Mother's taking a turn for the worse. So I arrive at the hospital. It was an hour drive. I arrive at the hospital, and she had just expired. And I didn't get to say goodbye. And I was just so distressed about that. And I, so I went into the room where she was lying. And, and, and you know, obviously she was gone. But my brother was there. My brother had had, had a kind of an up and down experience with the Lord and was away from the Lord at the time mom died, but he had flown out. And... Um, and as mom was dying and her blood pressure was dropping, uh, and she, uh, the, uh, the nurse came out of where she was and she said, is there a Paul here? My brother's name is Paul. Is there a Paul here? And my brother said, well, yeah, yes, I'm here. So your mother is calling for you. And so and I'm going to cry now when I tell this, but my, my brother intuitively knew what my mom wanted to hear. So my mother, my brother knelt down, put his lips to my mother's ear and said, Mom, I will see you in heaven. And in that moment, she let go. It was like she had prayed uh, so long for him. And she didn't want to go until she heard that word. The minute he said it, she was gone. Well, and my brother has served the Lord since then. So it was, uh, it was again, her, her prayers were just, it, it carried the family uh, in such a powerful way. And that's an illustration of it. That's an amazing story. This has been a wonderful experience just to listen about your history and the things that you and your family have gone through. It's really eye-opening. Wow. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Caitlin, for giving me the opportunity. I'm very happy to have had it.